Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. For two years, we've experienced a season of separation. Separation led to distance. Distance led to division, then to isolation, to loneliness, to fear and frustration, to anger and distrust. Over time, many of us lost things, forgot things. Even as Christians who know freedom in Christ, we've got dust on our hospitality, rust on our charity. The doors are back open now, the closed signs taken down, but so many are still stuck inside the safety of solitude, trapped in the prison of indifference and fear. But it's time to come back out. Jesus has called us all out of our tombs. He commissioned us long ago to go out and spread the good news. We are called by scripture to be with one another, open our homes and our hearts and care for each other. When we say fam, we don't just mean family. It's bigger than that. It means our people. And Jesus tells us that's everyone. It's time to relearn to connect with each other, face to face and heart to heart. It's time to remember how to reach out to our neighbors. It's time to share meals, share life, and share the hope that's within us. It's time to find your fam. According to Fred McFeely Rogers, there are three ultimate ways of success. Are you ready? Number one, to be kind. Number two, to be kind. Am I going too fast? And number three, the third way is to be kind. Some of you grew up with Fred McFeely Rogers. And some of you know him pretty well, but you know him better as Mr. Rogers, and his famous line is, won't you be my neighbor? I thought about sitting on the couch this morning and putting on tennis shoes, but I, just, I don't know, I couldn't do it. Frontier Days, there's something about it. And it was just, it would take too much, of, uh, too much of trying to, you know, I've heard a lot of stories about Mr. Rogers, actually, since I brought this up, and, and it's actually, he had an interesting military background, he had an interesting uh, uh, journey, a Presbyterian pastor, and uh, basically, and actually out of, out of some of his, his work has come a whole lot of other, even cartoons that some of you may have heard of, which is, I think it's fascinating and uh, to see that. And the, but the one thing that's interesting, that this generation between, I think they call it uh, probably the uh, 11, 12-year-olds to about the 25-year-olds, one of the key things that they're most interested in, and you can ask your own kids if they're in this, this camp to see if this is true, but one of the things that they're most interested in because of the kind of the context of the world, the craziness that we live in today, they are interested in kindness. There's something attractive to this group that d- desires Kindness. And I thought it was interesting. You want to be successful? According to Mr. Rogers, be kind, be kind, be kind. 
I think today's society could use a good dose of this kindness and what it looks like to be a good neighbor. Here's the, here's the instruction manual right here. Love your neighbor. It's not a suggestion as we're going to find out today. In fact, this is not just a, just a part of what God would like for us to do. It's like, it's the second one. Under loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That's number two after loving God. And imagine the, the, the weight and the, the importance of loving God with everything you've got. He says the second one is like it, love your neighbor. So we're going we're gonna to peel back some of the layers of this neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Because some of those neighbors, you know, maybe not be easiest to love. You might be one of them. So you may be a lot of things to think about this morning. Today's society, I will tell you, I think needs a good dose of what it looks like to be a neighbor. Whether it's because of COVID or vaccines or politics or religions, we have chasms, great divides in our country. We all know this. And this sermon is asking the question, have we forgotten what it means to be a neighbor? Let's look at what God says about being a neighbor. Not trying to look at our own context because our own context can cloud things. Sometimes it's difficult, and some of the things that are going to be challenged with today, for some of you, depending on your situation and background and what you've been exposed to or whatever, this could be, this could be difficult. So I'm going to be prayerful in, in, in your own application. You're going to have to allow the Spirit of God to apply this teaching in your soul. I believe today's passage could change I think it can change a lot of things. But if we took this, if the, even if the evangelical church took this as seriously as we ought, I think it could change. I think it could change everything. Because the things that divide us are killing us, and we're reaping the benefits of this division. We're falling into traps of demonizing the other side because they don't agree with our side. We choose uh, and we stay close, close to our own camps of small groups of individuals. Civility and healthy discourse seem to have gone by the wayside. I mean, there, there, was, a, there was a stream the other day I saw or heard about, and it was bleeped out, but these were, these were senators discussing each other and using words that had to be bleeped out in their discussion. This is not civil discourse. It's something to be concerned about. But it's not the first time we've ever been divided. I heard a program. Um, someone directed me to a podcast, and I, and I went and listened to it, and it was fascinating. Um, but this guy went back several years. I'm going to start in 1776, but he went back several years. And he said every 80 years, there's a pattern. Don't ask me to explain it, but I, he convinced me that this is worth thinking about. There's a pattern about every 80 years, something, we get to this place of divisiveness, this place where we are today. Let's say 1776, round that up to 1780 just for your, for your sake. But there was some major divides, not just with King George. In the 17, late 1776, in that era when the declaration was and the founders were writing, there was also massive divides within our, our own colonies between the loyalists who wanted to stay loyal to the crown and the patriots who said, we can't, this is unsustainable. 
But the divides weren't just between King George and the colonies. It was within the colonies were massive divides. Eighty years later, 1860s, another massive divide between north and south over many things, but mostly slavery. It's 80 years later. Massive divides really in the world about how we're going to, politics, um, is it going to be this style of leadership or that style of leadership in the world, in the world war in the 1940s, 80 years after. And it's like this pattern. 1940s, and you add 80 years, you get 2020. And we're divided again. Divided in different ways. We're now we're red states and blue states, and we've got all other ways of dividing. But the divisions are real, and the divisions are consistent. And it's almost this pattern is this uncanny when you think about it. Now, the first three of those divides that I mentioned, there was, they actually took it back even further, but the first three resulted in a lot of bloodshed. The question we have to ask and answer today is, where are we in this cycle? And could being a good neighbor make any difference? Could, being, could it be that loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves could make a difference in our society today? I think it could. Whether we change society or not today, I, you know, I'll let God do that. But I think if we can change our own world, our own situation, maybe. Maybe we've taken it one step closer. The main idea today came from a song, a song that actually has just been written, and I liked this lyric, and it goes like this, we choose to give or we can take with the same hand. That's really true. We can give to our neighbor. We can take from our neighbor. We can give hospitality, or we can just keep it to ourselves. We can give love, action with that love, or we can withhold it with that same hand. We can choose to give or we can take with the same hand. We're going to unpack that just a little bit today. The text is Matthew chapter 22, and this is where it comes from. Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, and Jesus says, The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think this is a suggestion, and I hope that after this sermon today you'll realize this is, this is a really big deal in this trajectory where we are in our lives, in our society, but even in our neighborhoods. I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about the neighbor near, the one that's close to us. I'm going to talk about our neighbor new, which is not necessarily a new neighbor, but Jesus gave us a new way to look at what a neighbor is, and neighbor now. First, neighbor near. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 27, it says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit the, the eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. Now, I just want you to know that what this lawyer stood up and asked, he was a teacher of the law, probably, 
And he was asking a legitimate question. I've often thought that maybe Jesus was rebuking him just a little bit. It was like, you ought to know this stuff. But I, I really don't because the Hebrew definition of the word is different than the Greek. And Jesus basically is showing them something new. There's a new idea here I want you to capture. But here's, here's the Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 definition. This is Sept, you know, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And this is what it says in Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 19 says this, Take no revenge and cherish no grudge against your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Listen to this. Take no revenge and cherish no grudge against your own people. Now, this is interesting. He says own people because the teachers of the law would have read this. This is the, the scripture that they had. It's like, okay, this is my, my own people. This is my, my own folks. This is uh, Jewish brothers. Take no revenge against my Jewish brothers. Take no, have no grudge against my Jewish brothers. That's literally how this means. It's translated, uh, uh, the, the word translated neighbor actually means friend or companion. It means associate. This meaning of of someone we know is the typical what we think of in this passage according to the Old Testament. So the Jewish concept was um, that person that you know, it was be a, the Hebrew race, the Hebrew commonwealth, his own people. So he stood up and asked a legitimate question. My understanding of Hebrew is that my neighbor is my own. Jesus said, answered him a little bit differently, and he told him the story of the Good Samaritan. And the reason I think he expands this picture is because in the Greek, they use a different word, and it means, it's the word plesos, it means near or close to. This still could mean your own people, couldn't it? Because they're near or close to you. But near or close to, with the illustration of the story of the Good Samaritan, is a new definition. And it probably blew this teacher of the law just a little bit, blew his mind. Because he said, is it, who is my neighbor? Good question. Because my neighbor in, in Hebrew is my, my Israeli brothers. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. There's a man who fell by the roadside to some robbers. And a priest came by, walked by the other side, didn't help him. Another Levite came by, walked by the other side, didn't help him. And then it came a Samaritan. Samaritan came by. Now, Samaritans, that's, a, that's not one of his Jewish brothers. They're half-brothers. They're half-breeds. And they're, they're despised by the Jewish people. They weren't, they weren't in that neighborhood definition by any stretch. So he, Jesus is using this just to kind of blow some categories out of this guy's mind. Not rebuking him because he asked a good, a legitimate question. And he said, then came along a Samaritan. And he helped him and he put him on his donkey. He took him to the inn. He gave him a bunch of money. He said, fix him up. And if you have to do more than that, um, do whatever you have to do. And I will pay you whatever it takes. And I'll come back in a few days. Then Jesus said, who was the neighbor to the man that had fallen by the roadside? And the guy, he was honest, and he said, uh, I guess the man that was helping him. You've answered correctly, right? So this whole concept, Jesus was expanding this idea of neighbor. 
not just the neighbor who is near to you in ethnicity or in your, your Jewish, Jewishness, in your religious circles, but a neighbor that's near you. That's the Greek definition, the one that's near. The one that was like, right, he was having to step, those Levites stepped over. I've, I've seen the road to Jericho. It is narrow. It's on a pretty steep hill like this, and then there's this little path. I mean, literally, path. A path a donkey could walk on, but you wouldn't, it's not steep like a cliff, but it's, you wouldn't want to twist your ankle. You could tumble a ways. It's a, it's a pretty steep incline, and it's like the incline, then tiny little path. So for this guy to fall to, for the Levites to walk around him, it's kind of a misnomer. It makes you feel like there's a really wide road, and you could almost, you know, kind of ignore this guy. No, you, there's no way. Once you see that path, and you say, okay, this is where, they actually think they know where he fell, because there's this, uh, there's this place, you can, you can actually, from the road, you can drive off and then look across the valley and say, okay, there's the road, the, the road to Jericho. And this is the famous road that's mentioned in the Good Samaritan. And of course, there's a Good Samaritan Inn that you can stay in as a, as a tourist. So um, just right there along the way. But it's pretty cool. But anyway, so um, but when you see that, and there's some cutbacks because there's kind of a little kind of cliff type thing. There's some cutbacks in there. And that's more, most likely where he would have fallen to these robbers. But this is a narrow path. These Levite, this Levite and this other teacher of the law seriously would have had to step around like that. So when he said, who's my neighbor? I guess it's the one that's near to you. It's like the one right in your path. I want you to think about that just a little bit. Because a lot of times I think we're trying to figure out oh, what, who is our, we ask those same questions, who's our neighbor? And there might be some, somebody that just happens that God puts right in your path. And I would challenge you today to apply these neighborly, this neighborly command to love that neighbor that's right in your path, the one near to you. That's really the definition from Greek. And I really believe that's what Jesus is trying to drive home, your neighbor near. The second thing I think is your neighbor new. Now, this is a little bit, it's kind of picking up on the same thing, but, but Jesus doesn't just expand it with the Good Samaritan story, but he, I think he raises the bar here. This is the one he takes it kind of to another level. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 is where we're going to start reading this. It says this, you've heard it said, and Jesus did this a lot, by the way, in Matthew chapter 5, that's the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you've heard it said such and such, but I tell you, and that's what you're going to see here. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Now, here's his illustration. Here's what the father does. For the father, for he makes his, his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. We've, I've got a neighbor that we've been, blaming, uh, we've been blaming the fact that it's dry on the other neighbors. It's like, well, it must be them. You know, we do that just out of jest, right? We're just kidding, of course. But it's this idea that, well, somebody must be sinning because we're not getting any rain. That's kind of an old farmer's thing. And it's not us. It's got to be them. So we were joking about that. 
it was funnier, I thought, with, you know, when you're standing. But, you know, you guys, that's fine if you don't. It's Kansas humor. I get it. It's like it takes a while to kind of soak in, so to speak. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your only your brothers, what more are you doing than, than others? In other words, anybody can do that. Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what does God the heavenly Father do? He brings son. He brings grace on everybody, whether they believe in him or don't believe in him. His common grace to all mankind. This is, the most, I think, the most confusing thing for people. They say, well, I've seen other religions, and God gives grace to all mankind. He loves all mankind. God is actively involved in all mankind. He loves all mankind. Yes, is there a special grace called salvation? Yes, there's a special grace. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. But God has grace on all mankind. And if you want to be one of his sons, and you say that you are, you too should give grace to all mankind. Your neighbor far, your neighbor near, your neighbor that doesn't agree with you, the neighbor that doesn't, isn't easy to love, the neighbor who is maybe an enemy. You see, this is a tall order. When, when you really think about what Jesus is saying here, this, uh, this doesn't mean that you don't have differences and you can't have, or shouldn't have differences. It means that in the midst of these differences, you can give quarter, if you will, to go back to a Revolutionary War concept. You can give quarter to some, someone that you don't agree with and bring them and sit them down at your table and they can stay in your barn, that kind of thing. Don't have to agree with them. Not, you don't agree with the direction that they're going, but to give them quarter would be, I think someone could apply this and say, yeah, I'm, I'm just... I'm doing what a Christian should do. I don't necessarily agree with their view of things, but I'm doing what the Christian thing is. I want to be a son of my father, and my father brings grace to all mankind. God certainly doesn't agree with all mankind, does he? But he gives grace to all of them. You want to be one of his sons? You want to be one of his daughters? There's the challenge. I think this is a tall order. I think we skim over it. Here's Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, and it tells us a little bit more of the, the power and the weight of this, this loving your neighbor. It says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law, that's, that's Genesis through, through uh, Deuteronomy for sure, but it's really the prophets, it's the whole Old Testament. The whole law can be fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 through 14. This is similar. This is the golden rule. But this is certainly a, an example of loving your neighbor. And it goes like this. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. He's telling you, if you want to fulfill this thing, just Treat people like you want to be treated. You're going to be, you're going to be good. You're going to be golden, the golden rule. How should I treat this person? Who did, well, how do you want to be treated? Okay, well, I, 
probably want this, okay? Do that. Now, this is the next verse, and I think this is fascinating. Because I don't think I've ever put these two together. I think we read them separately, but this is the, the next verse. And I'm going to start reading at verse 12 again. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. Now, usually when we think of that narrow gate, we think of making a decision for Christ, like our, our uh, high schoolers, some, James mentioned. That's the narrow gate. No question about that. But there's something unique about this narrow gate because the juxtaposition of this with the golden rule makes you realize there's some things that are action items in this narrow gate. Listen to this. Enter to by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The fact that it's juxtaposed to the golden rule tells me something. Yes, we need to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, we need to love our neighbor. We need to love others as we treat others as we would want to be treated. This action item is, if you, if you take it seriously, this is pretty convicting. But I think if we take it serious, it could be one of the most healing things that could happen maybe in our own neighborhoods for certain in neighborhoods across this country, maybe around this world. When I was in Israel, uh, going down the Jordan Valley is one of the most fascinating things because it is just, it is from really from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Jet Dead Sea. You go from this really fertile, lush area around the Sea of Galilee and that Jordan River meanders down through there. You get down to the middle, the southern part of that, it gets dry. And by the time you get down to the Dead Sea, it is desert bone dry, but it's still green or in some cases white. And what I mean by that is they've got miles of what I would call these, this, uh, these tarps that are over their, uh, the vegetables and all the things. They have kind of a greenhouse effect, if you will. I think they keep the insects out, uh, probably keeps the directness of the sun, I'm sure. I'm not exactly sure about how it all works, but there are orchards of bananas and there's orchards of tomatoes and there's orchards. I mean, as far as your eye can see up and down this desert place, the Israel has figured out a way to irrigate in the middle of a desert and make things grow. It's, it's the most marvelous, it's prophetic, it's prophesied in Ezekiel. I've told you about this, and you get to see it with your own eyes. But here's something I did not know. It was like my second or third trip. And, and I realized that here's the meandering uh, river, Jordan River, and there was a whole bunch of, of that same kind of green and the same kind of white tarps I mean, the tarps, they're like the size of, I don't know, huge buildings. It would be, let's say, 50 feet wide and, you know, 200 feet long in each one of these. It's, I mean, big, big. So it's about as far as your eye can see is it covered, and, or, or it's green. And, but I realized that was on the other side. That's the Jordan side, the country of Jordan. And I asked this guy about, our guide about that. I said, that's, it's interesting you were talking about the, the technology of Israel, but it looks like Jordan has figured out that technology. He goes, yeah, we gave it to them. We taught them everything that they know. We've, we've actually said, listen, we will show you how to do this. And Israel has shown them how to do this so they can feed their own people. 
The reason that this is interesting to me is because Jordan hasn't always been super friendly to Israel over the years. So what does it look like to love your neighbor? And it's like it's on display right down that Jordan Valley. It's like those that would consider themselves to be even possibly an enemy teach them how to water the crops so they can feed their people. They don't agree politically. They kind of tolerate each other at best, when they're at their best times. They're at war at their worst times. And here they are teaching them, saying, here, let me show you how to, how to put in a drip system. Let me show you how this works. I don't know who has the water rights there. That would be interesting to even know. That's a battle everywhere you go. But somebody has allowed somebody to have water rights, and they're doing a lot of irrigating to feed people. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor. And finally, your neighbor now. In James chapter 2, this is a, it's kind of a repeat, but I will tell you, you can find this concept throughout Scripture. I'm going to read it in one more place. James chapter 2, verse 8 says, if you, really fulfill the, let's see, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scriptures, here's the royal law. You ready for the royal law? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Royal law. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In other words, there's a flip side to this. If you're showing partiality, if you are partial to a different uh, group, a different idea, a different race, a different, uh, you know, whatever. If you're partial to them, you hold them in, at, at arm's length and say, wait a minute, no, this far, no more. I'm not saying you have to take on every idea. I get there's differences of ideas. But this is not talking about ideas. It's talking about loving your neighbor. That's the royal law. The, end part, the last of this verse says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For the judgment for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So just in case you didn't get the point, James is driving it home. And he's basically saying this, just so you know. If you don't show mercy to your neighbor, the royal law. If you're prejudiced, if you're these things, just so you know, that's how you're going to be judged before God. In other words, the measure that you use on your neighbor, that's going to be the measure that's used to you. I think this is a way of just driving it home to say, yeah, this is a good concept. Yeah, this is a good idea. It's like, whoa, maybe I should rethink some things. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher in, in London in the 1800s, was saying, he said that Jesus spoke more often about the fruits of the Spirit, how to relate to human beings than he did doctrine. Paul comes along and talks about doctrine. Romans, Galatians, right? He talks, he tells about doctrine. Jesus, lots of his teaching, and I thought about what Spurgeon said. He said, most of what Jesus did, he taught people how to relate to other people. He taught people to love your neighbor. Second greatest commandment. The commandment that will fulfill all commandments. I think it's important. I'm going to close with this last 
verse from the book of Romans, Romans 13. And this is Paul basically saying the same thing. He says this, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. I don't know how many books we've seen this in now. Galatians, Romans, James, Matthew. I know it's in Mark. I know it's in Luke. I think it's a big deal. And I will just tell you, I, I know that what my words are saying sometimes are hitting. It's like, whoa, you, but you don't know my situation. And I realize that. And I would just ask you to, just to go before God. This is just me saying, this is what God's word says. It's like, Lord, what does this look like for me in my situation? Who is my neighbor that's near? Maybe right under my feet. Who's this new idea of expanding? How can I expand my my neighborhood to even love my enemies? And who's my neighbor now? The one that's just uh, I don't I don't want to owe anything to anybody. And I like this concept. I like this concept. Oh, nobody, nothing except to love. Seems like such an innocent T-shirt, didn't it? <laughs> At once, everybody said, "Well, I'd like to have one of those." Now, do you want one? There's a lot of responsibility in it. I think it's important. Would you pray with me, Father in heaven? I, you know, it's it's really easy to speak about this stuff. It's harder to do this stuff. And Lord, I just pray that for each one of us, as we, I don't know, I just pray that your spirit would take this word and apply it however it needs for each individual. Because this is a big deal. There's a wide road that I don't want to be on. There's a narrow road that I, that I think I walk on. But even question, Lord, is there any wide road actions in my life? I don't. I don't want to participate in that. And I know the, I know the people that sound in my voice don't want to either. Help us, God, I pray. And I pray that we will be good neighbors, that we will love our neighbor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is kind of a special, a special day. I told you I took the main idea of this from a song that a guy wrote. Well, this guy happens to be named Harry Keyworth. And it's out of the song that he wrote for this message that I, we choose to give, we used to take, choose to take with the same hand. When he wrote that, I, I thought, man, this is, that's good stuff. And that it would fit perfectly. And actually, he wrote, he drove from Nashville all the way to Cheyenne just to sing this song for you. <laughs> well, okay, that's not totally true, but... Um, he did drive from Nashville. 
He's from Wales. He's uh, an artist in Wales. He's got several records and videos and things that he's done and produced. He's a singer-songwriter. He was over here in Denver. His producer, I believe, or manager, or whatever they call those guys, is in Evergreen. And somehow between Evergreen and Denver, he and my daughter had dinner together and have been married for the last six months. <laughs> Would you give a warm welcome to my son-in-law, Harry Keyworth. When we were, we were talking about this uh, idea, and you said, I'd like to write a song, and I said, well, you have an amazing story about a neighbor. I said, write about that story. And so, I don't, you take it from here, but welcome. Yeah, nice to see you guys. Thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, the song, I don't know if you can see some lyrics, or, but I can explain some of them. Um, just like Gaynan said in the sermon, uh, it's about, you know, helping someone who's right in front of you, just like with the Good Samaritan. This guy was, my porch is right here, He's, his, his is right opposite mine. And I watched this guy get out of his car, struggle. He's, he's uh, mostly blind, he's on dialysis. Um, he's 75 years old. Um, and I watched him kind of struggle get into his house. And, you know, the first time I helped him was, uh, I kind of leapt out and said, hey, do you need a, do you need a hand walking? Because I could see his, he was struggling, so I put his hand on my shoulder and kind of led him into his house, and uh, inside his house uh, was all burnt because uh, he'd left a pan on the stove, uh, set fire to his kitchen, and ru ruined the whole back of his house. And, uh, and I saw this, and I was kind of shocked by it. Um, and um, I kind of offered to help out, you know, and um, because he was just right in front of me, and I was kind of thinking about it each day. I saw him struggling, and... Uh, so, so, I, uh, so I basically fit him a new kitchen um, to get him back in his house and get him comfortable. Um, and I overheard him say to one of his friends that was there, he kind of said, you know, this Harry guy, I was walking away from the house, he, he's a godsend. And I kind of thought about that for a second and thought, well, you know, my understanding of God mostly is love and, and uh, the best way to share God's love is, is through you and, and to give it to someone else. So, you know, tell me something good. I don't understand how you can give or you can take with the same hand. It's kind of questioning that concept. So, you know, it was a good way to share God's love coming through my hand and, and the best way for someone to receive it into their heart. So that was kind of the, the message, but I'm talking too much, so I better sing you a song. <laughs> Tell me something good, cause I don't understand How you can give, or you can take with the same hand I don't know who you are, but maybe you got a plan To deal with the love, and the hate, and the same man to deal with love and the hate in the same man. I nearly lost it all, got stuck in the fire. Oh, because I couldn't see you hide away. 
so much. Thank you. 